As I said, we're in the third week of uh, this, uh, this uh, series that we call Explore God, and we're, we're discussing some very big questions. And, and, you know, we've talked about the role of doubt and how important it is for our faith. And, you know, doubt is simply an argument with yourself, you know, that you don't want to lose. Think about that. And the only way you can lose an argument with yourself is if you don't have it. And, and, and God is saying, look, here, I've got answers to your questions. And so we've been asking some really big, important questions. We've been discussing it as a, as a church, and it's very helpful because it builds our faith. And if we don't do that, here's the danger. If we don't do that, those questions never get answered. That doubt grows into unbelief. So thank you for being here and being a part of these discussions. Let's begin in prayer. Father, thank you for the chance to be together to discuss your word, and we pray that you'd shine the light of the truth of your word into a very difficult and dark question, and that is, why is there such pain and suffering in our world? And Father, today, as we discuss that, we pray that you would use the light of your word, Father, to encourage us and strengthen us and and increase our understanding, Father, through the power of your spirit, working through your precious word, and we pray these things in the in the name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen. amen. Well, we started two weeks ago with a question, and the question was, does life have a purpose? Now, what did we decide? Good. Some of you were here, all right? Some of you maybe not. I don't know. Yeah, we have, our life has a purpose, but it only has a purpose if it's connected with God. That's where real purpose, lasting purpose comes from. It comes from a connection with God. And we looked at that, and as you think about it, we we go back and we think, okay, so here's what God does to to help us understand purpose. First of all, he defines us in creation. He says, I made you for a reason. He points us, he directs us to glorify him with our entire life, right? He determines how we should live. He puts moral boundaries around our lives, And, and those moral boundaries are there to defend us, to protect us. And he destines us to an eternal future. You see, real meaning and purpose in life only comes from God. And we learned that two weeks ago. But you know what? That leads to another question. And the question is, wait a minute. If I'm going to base my life on God, I better be sure and ask the question, is there really a God? Is there a God? I mean, it's a question that many people ask today. And so last week, we looked at this idea of six different areas of Evidence, six different arguments. Which is your argument? Which is the one that most touches your life? If you don't remember them, or I'd encourage you to go back and listen to the podcast, the information's on the back of your sermon notes card, how to reach those messages. These are such important pieces of evidence for our own hearts, for our discussion with ourselves. You know, with our argument with ourselves about how God has revealed himself to us. And we need to have that sometimes that argument over and over again and remind ourselves that there's plenty of evidence that this isn't just some blind leap into faith. That we have reasons to believe in a God who is good. But here's the challenge. If you look today and and you look at the world and you think, okay, there is a God. He's good. He must be good. He created me. He says he's good. He's all-powerful. He's given me purpose. He's overcome death. He's given me an eternity, a destiny. Why is it that when you look at the world, there's so much pain and there's so much suffering? That's the question that we want to wrestle with today. Watch this. 
Pain, pain's a part of life. I think some people believe it's a test of your faith, but if you don't have a faith to believe in, it kind of makes you wonder why, why is there suffering in this world? It was a reason why he took them. Uh, maybe he needed some angels up there to protect, protect, to help him in the fight against the devil. A baby is a beautiful, wonderful thing. Why doesn't he want me to have this? Bad things are just the way that you see them. I think God's in everything we do. Why would anybody want to create people who do horrible things to each other? It doesn't make any sense. I don't think God's sitting there and saying these people are hurting and maybe I should help them. I suppose the answers will come. It's just I'm going through a journey right now that's painful. So why? Question we all ask. We can avoid a lot of these questions that we've talked about so far. We can kind of skirt around them or just to pretend we're not there. This one, we, uh-uh. No, we're going we're gonna to encounter this personally, I can guarantee you. The longer we live, the longer we go through life, the more people we know. Sooner or later, we're going to experience pain and suffering, and we cry out, why? Why, God, if you're good and you're powerful, do you allow this to happen? Why does there seem to be such injustice in this world? But we're going to wrestle with that, and I just want to tell you, there's no easy answers. But we are going to shine the light of God's truth into this area, this dark area, so that we can better understand exactly what is going on. You know, this question has been asked for centuries. Epicurus asked it the first time, I think, it recorded in about the fourth century. David Hume uh, said it this way. He posed it as what we call a trilemma. He said this. He said, look, if God is unable to prevent evil, then he is not all-powerful. Do you see the assertion there, the assumption? said, so if, 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 if evil is there and it's in the world, then God is all-powerful and he's allowing it to happen. He is just not all-powerful. Then he says, if God is not willing to prevent evil, then he is not all-good. God is not good. God is not all-powerful. That's the assumption of many people simply because they see evil in the world today. He concludes the trilemma. He says, if God is both willing and able to prevent evil, then why does evil exist? Why is it that people experience pain and suffering? Now, the reality is, if you were here last week, you heard the moral argument, which says, look, because we know what is good, because we understand what is good, that's the only way we know that evil exists. So actually, the presence of evil is an indication that God is at work in our hearts, and he's written in our hearts, and we know what's good. But more people stumble over this question, especially young people, to be honest with the survey, say the millennial generation, this has been the question that drives them away from God. So it's so important that we deal with it. And so how do we make sense of this question? Why is there pain and suffering. Now, in order to really understand it, we have to get behind it a little bit. We have to understand the context. We have to ask ourselves, what is God doing in the timeline of history? What is he doing right now? What has happened and what will happen? And where are we now in the timeline of history? Let's review the context because it will help us greatly. It'll build a foundation for the answers, the best answers we have to the question of pain and suffering in our world. It begins with this. The concept, the idea of creation. See, in, in the beginning, God saw everything he made, and what did he say? How did he respond? 
It's very good. Not just good, very good. On the sixth day, this is the response. A good God creates a very good world, a world without pain, without suffering, without disease, without injustice, without terrorism, without mass shootings, without racial inequality. None of that existed. No broken relationships. No nothing like that. It's all good. Perfect world. That's what God created. A good God, his character reflected in his creation. Everything was just as it was supposed to be. That's where we start. So funny to me, that, or interesting to me, that every week we're going back to creation to understand the answers to big questions. We did it the first week when we talked about purpose. We did it last week to prove the existence of God. We're now looking at it again to address this problem of evil. Is it any wonder why people don't want you to believe in creation? That God created? Do you see why Satan might want to deceive you in this area? Because so much of our lives to understand them are dependent upon us knowing that God, a good God, created a good creation. But it didn't stay that way, did it? Because here's what happened. Paul writes about it after the fact. He says, creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay. So someday we know he's not done yet. God is not done yet. But we know that for now we are in bondage to decay. All of the earth, every person, bondage to decay. And we know that the whole creation is, has been groaning. I know that when I wake up in the morning, as I get older, I'm groaning. Maybe you are too. Every one of us is in bondage to decay. This is reality. This is where we live. But Paul says, look, we'll be set free. Someday we'll be set free. But that doesn't help, does it? Someday doesn't help me understand now. Oh, it gives me a different perspective, but I want to know more. And we want to know the next question that comes out of this. If you're, if you're paying attention right now, you say, wait a minute, wait a minute. A good God, all-powerful God created something that could break? What's that about? Why do you do that? Here's the best answer we have. Why did God create the whole world? He created it for us. We're the crowning jewel to his creation. He created it so we could be in a relationship with him. Not just any kind of relationship, one of love. And do you know what you have to have to have love? Choice. Not to love. True love cannot be possible unless you have the capacity and freedom to walk away. And that's what he gave us. And that's what we did. And sin enters into the world. And now we know the beginning of this problem starts with disobedience, with our sin. And of course, now we want to know, wait a minute. That means that, okay, so you're telling me that, that I get what I deserve? In other words, if I sin, I'm going to do something, then I'm punished? We want to make some sort of one-to-one -one connection? I mean, this kind of question was asked even by Jesus' disciples. This, when he healed this blind man, when they saw him, the disciples asked, Jesus, they said, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents said he was born blind. You know what Jesus' response was to that question? Neither. We don't know. See, sometimes sin does have consequences to us personally. Sometimes other people's actions impact our lives. And sometimes it's because we live in a sinful, fallen world that stuff happens. You think, well, wait a minute. 
You mean God doesn't want to correct that? And absolutely, the answer is yes, he wants to correct that, and he is at work right now. Do you know what he's doing right now? He is destroying evil. He's in the process of destroying all evil and restoring creation. That's what he promises us. That's where we are in the timeline of history. People say, well, why doesn't he go ahead and act? And look at this verse from Peter. It helps us understand why he has not acted yet. To finally put evil to its, in its place and end it. He says, look, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promises. Some understood slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. What he's saying here is he doesn't want to shut the door on heaven. Because you know what? Every one of us is a sinner. Every one of us is evil. That's the inheritance we have from Adam and Eve. None of us will escape God's judgment and punishment except those who have Christ. And God is saying, I'm not shutting that door on humanity until it's time. And, of course, we don't know when that time is. But one day it will happen. One day he will shut the door. He will destroy all evil. It's a guarantee. And when he does, there'll be a new heaven and a new earth. And that's where we'll live. In the return of the king in the Lord of the Rings series, there's a scene where a question is asked. And here's the question. Are all things sad becoming untrue? Are all things sad becoming untrue? And that's exactly what God is going to do. All things that are sad will become untrue at this point. And this is our guarantee. This is our reality. And this is the context in which we have to deal with the problem of evil and suffering and pain in our world. But I know, I know. It's like, what about today? What about right now? What about when I get a diagnosis or, or somebody I love dies? Or I lose my job or my finances go to heck? Or what, what about then? What do I do now? Is there anything for me in the middle of that storm? I mean, just to understand that someday it'll happen. What about today, God? How do I process? How do I relate to you in the middle of the storm? Well, one of the things God wants you to know, to begin with, right now, is that you can, you can cry out to him. He's not, he, he, he doesn't, he's not, it's not like he doesn't know you're going to ask these questions. He wants you to ask why. He wants you to have a conversation with him because he wants to do something in you as you have that conversation. Look at some of the examples. You remember the story of Lazarus, right? He dies. Jesus' friend and Lazarus' sisters, they, they come to Jesus and they say, wait a minute, Martha says to Jesus, if you'd have been here, my brother would not have died. Where were you? Were you sleeping? Were you ignoring me? Why didn't you show up and do what I expected? Ever done that to God? I have. I have my expectations. I say, look, God, this is the way I think it ought to work. Jesus doesn't rebuke Martha. You know, he doesn't tell her, no, don't ask that question. That's the wrong question. He didn't do it at all. No, he, you'll see he does something much different. We'll see you in a few minutes. But we do this question. We have this question, why? And even the people around this situation, they ask the same question. They say, wait a minute, he's healed people's eyes. Can't he raise this guy from the dead or keep him from dying? And of course he does. 
Do you see the point? It's natural for us to cry out, why? And that's the advantage of being a Christian is you have somebody to cry out to. You see, if you you don't believe in God, who would you cry out to? Look what Richard Dawkins says about who you cry out to. He says, hey, some people are going to get hurt. Other people are going to get lucky. You won't find any rhyme or reason in it, nor justice. This This is what an atheist believes. The universe, it's just what we observe is precisely the properties we should expect. If there is at bottom no design, no purpose, no evil, no God, no nothing but pitiless indifference. Can you imagine going through suffering and having no one to talk to about it? On your own, believing that it's all random chance anyway. Christian worldview affords us the opportunity to go to God who does exist and is a good God and all-powerful God and know that he will listen. He'll be in that conversation with us. The Bible is filled with these conversations. Look at what Job said who lost everything. He said, look, know that God has wronged me. He was blaming God. You ever blame God for anything in your life? He was blaming God. He said, he says, he's drawn his net around me. He's confined me. He says, though I cry violence, I get no response. Though I get a call for help, there is no justice. And that's the way it feels sometimes. Look at this passage from Jeremiah, the prophet. He says this. He says, why is my pain unending and my wound grievous and incurable? You, God, he's talking to God. You, God, are to me like a deceptive brook, like a spring that fails, Bitter instead of drinkable, that would quench my thirst. Your poison. You see, we we have somebody to cry out to, and this God expects us to do this. He wants us to be in dialogue. He has something to say to us in the middle of our pain and suffering. Jesus Himself, look what He said on the cross: My God, my God, what why? Why have you forsaken me? Quoting the Psalms. He says, why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh, my God, I cry by nay, but you do not answer. And by night I find no rest. And here we've had the Son of God asking why. And we'll see, as he, in his humanity, suffers for us, he has every right to ask why. The challenge of us understanding this question comes when we we put it in the context of God will make things, all things that are sad, untrue someday, but we live now, and it hurts. And do you know why we have pain? Because it tells us something is dramatically wrong with the world that needs to be fixed. God is telling us today, I am at work fixing that problem. I'm fixing it. Know that that promise is real and true. Know that this promise applies to you. Paul writes it this way in terms of our suffering. He says, we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Now, The danger of this verse, it's the most popular verse in the Bible, is that we'd say, oh yeah, God's going to fix all my problems. You know, what I'm experiencing now in this world. That's not what it means. 
It means that God is fixing the world and he's going to work it all together for good. That one day everything that is sad will be untrue for those that believe and love God. That will be restored. And then we say, well, wait a minute, then, then why do I have to go through this? Why is it difficult? Why is it painful? Why is it so hard? Look what Paul says about his suffering. He says, I want to know Christ. And somehow it's connected his suffering to Christ's suffering because he says, I know Christ because he suffered. I know Christ in my suffering. I can depend on him. Joined with him. And it helps him to understand who Jesus is. But it's not easy. Not pleasant. It's not always happy. God has this way of taking even a bad thing and making it good, making it for our good. You know, it's like judo. You know, it's like reversing the energy of a punch. He's able to turn it around just like he did with Jesus. He died and turned it around. Put the energy back in the other direction. Alvin Plantenga, who was a Christian philosopher, has this little mental exercise, and he says, he says, if I had to ask you to go look inside of a tent, you know, we're going to go camping. If I was to ask you to look inside of a tent, I might go camping in that tent. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty sweet, isn't it? If I'd, I'd ask you to look in that tent and say, and, and tell me, to, 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 to determine, are there any no in there? You guys know what no are? Okay, no are these little tiny bugs, and they bite. And if, if you go there and you look inside the tent and you come back and tell me there are no no in the tent, should I believe you? No, because you can't see them. You see, here's the thing. We don't always, we, the, our world, our life is filled with no We don't understand. We can't know. Doesn't mean that they're not, they're not a good reason. You see, here's, here's the challenge. You know, there are, there are 100 billion stars in the universe. If you started right now and, and, and kept on counting, it would take you 3,000 years if you worked at it seven days a week, 24 hours a day. You get a sense of how big this universe is of ours and how small we are? You see, and here's the thing. What we want to do is we want to say to God, you know, we want to say, okay, in my limited mindset, in my limited faculties, my mental capacity, I want to understand the logical coherence of the universe. I want to understand your reasons for everything. And I'll only trust you if, if I'll only trust you if, I, if you'll subordinate yourself, God, to my personal evaluation of what I think is best. That's what we do. And in doing so, we shrink God to where he's not God anymore. He's not, he's not able, he's not, he's not big enough now to solve the problems because he's got to solve them in the, what we view. That's not God, that's our imagination. See, if we want a God that can actually fix the problem of evil and pain and suffering and overcome all of that, we've got to let God be God. You gotta, I want a God that big that knows how to do this because stakes are high, it's called eternity, and I want that. God is saying, I'm at work right now, I'm, I'm 
destroying evil. And I'm, and I'm going to restore the whole earth. I'm going to make it new. All things that are sad will become untrue. But again, I'll come back and say it doesn't make it our life easy right now, does it? So far, Dan, you've given me a lot of bad news. Thanks for coming to church today, you know? <laughs> but it's not all that bad. There's something that, that we need to be aware of. There's something that we, we need to, to relate to in the middle of pain and suffering. You know, and here, here's, what, here's what's happened. It, in, in the incarnation, when Jesus came in the flesh, as a human being, he came and he suffered in the flesh. And he took our sufferings on himself. He took our sin on himself. And then, so, so he, he bore our sufferings. And then in the resurrection, he beats it. He beats the power of death, the sting of sin. He beats it. He demonstrates his capacity to override evil, that he has the authority that one day he will destroy it completely. He does that in the resurrection. Do you know what he did because he's human? Do you know what he did after Martha said, my brother has died, he wouldn't have died if you'd have been there? Do you know what Jesus did? Do you know what his response to that was? He wept. He wept. Because he, he loved him. And he loves you. He loves me. And he weeps when we're, when we're going through challenges and hardships and pain and suffering because he loves us because he's a human being. He understands it. He knows it. He, he's, he's a God that has become man and knows pain and suffering. And he's taken that on himself. You know what? Jesus' nickname is Man of Sorrows. Read it in Isaiah. He's a man of sorrows. He was born as a, as a teenage uh, girl in poverty and worked as a manual laborer and was rejected by his family when he started his ministry and, and persecuted by religious authorities and unjustly charged and, and, and given the sentence of death on a Roman cross, the most horrible death you could die. He knows sorrow because he became one of us. He knows what we're going through. And so when, when we go through pain, when we go through suffering, it's, it, he, we, he, he's not changing the reality of it all the time, but he'll change the experience of it. Because he can be with you in those tears. And he wants to walk through no matter how deep the water is, no matter how hot the fire is. He walks through the valley of the shadow of death with us all the time. And he knows what he's talking about because he's been there. Edward Shalito, the Japanese poet, wrote it this way. He said, no other gods were strong, but thou was, though the other gods were strong, but thou was weak. They rode, but thou did stumble to a throne. But to our wounds only God's wounds can speak. And not a God has wounds, but thou alone. No other God, no other religious system offers this. In Buddhism, you know, your pain is an illusion. Tell that to somebody who's suffering. That it's just pretend. It's not really there. Our God has become suffering for us. But he's not just bearing our suffering. He beats it. He called Lazarus out of the grave. 
He said, Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus did. He overcame death, and he's going he's gonna to do that for us. It's a good thing he used Lazarus' name, because otherwise he'd have emptied a whole graveyard. <laughs> but one day he's going to do exactly that. All things sad will become untrue. He's going to call us out of the grave, because he's beat. He's beat our suffering. Jerry... Uh, Sitzer wrote a book, it's called A Grace Disguised, and it's about how um, a soul grows through grief and pain. He tells the story of his family. He was out one night in the minivan with his mother and his wife and his daughter and two sons when a drunk driver crossed the center line and hit them head on. And he lost his mom and his wife and his young daughter. They're in the middle of a lonely highway in Idaho. And he just watched that happen. He watched them die. Imagine the pain and grief. He's a professor of Christian history out in Washington. And he had to process that grief. And his young son, just some time later, they were riding in the car and asking this very perceptive question. He said, look, Daddy, if Mommy is in heaven and she could see us, how could she be happy when we are so sad? Wow, what wisdom, huh? Out of the mouth of a child. And in a moment of Holy Spirit inspiration, because he didn't know how to respond, he says, I didn't have any idea how to answer that question. He said this. He said, because, son, she knows the end of the story. Everything that is sad is being made untrue. This is where we have to be in this question of why does God allow pain and suffering? This is where we leave it. We know that, 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 yeah, we live in a sinful, fallen world. We have to understand our circumstances, the context of the question. We know we can come to him and, and complain. And in that, he will, he will reassure us. He will weep with us. He will walk with us through the fire, through the deep waters of life. And he can give us even the faith to, to let go of that question of why. But the most important part is that while all that's going on, we remember that not only is he's a God that suffered as we have, and he, is, he is absolutely understanding of what's going on. He loves us dearly. He cares for us completely. But he finally will win completely. Everything sad will be made untrue. Not a perfect, wonderful answer with all neat and tidy results and for our lives. But rejoice. Because the promises are real and they're true. Let's pray.